0: Welcome to Mugglecast episode 419. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Laura. I'm Pat. And we're joined by one of our Slug Club members this week. Hello, Alicia.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Good. How are you? Where are you in the world?
2: It's very good. I am in New Brunswick, Canada, which is Midland, Canada, Far East, Canada. Far
0: East, which is good because we're recording early. So it's nice to have you on. Let's get your fandom ID. Uh, give us your favorite book, movie, Hogwarts House, Ilver, Morning House, Patronus, and. One question you really want J.K. Rowling to answer?
2: Okay, um, favorite book: *Prisoner of Azkaban*. Favorite movie: *Half Blood Prince*. Um, Gryffindor. Wampus. My Patronus is a fox. And I kind of struggled with a question for J.K. Because I don't, I don't, I don't know. I feel like I don't really have any questions for her, really. But <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I have sort of wondered was about Ollivander's Like, how how does he make enough money? to stay open because I feel like the amount of customers they would have wouldn't be very many. Like they sell to the new students every year, right? Because their primary business is from Hogwarts students, right, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they only sell each one for what? Like seven galleons? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, maybe some, from time to time, someone has a wand that breaks that they need replaced or something like that. But I know it's an old family business, but I almost wonder if it's maybe government, funded do you think that's possible
0: yeah i like that question Mm -hmm. maybe he's getting business from harry potter fans year round (laughs) because you're right like a lot of
2: businesses he's
3: got the high season and then nothing
2: exactly what is the revenue of that place it can't be very high
3: well you know you talked you touched on it when you said it's a family-owned business they're makers of fine wands since what 382 bc
2: BC, um, yeah.
3: So maybe they already own the building, like the shop. Maybe they own the shop where it's located, and therefore have very little overhead.
2: Oh, they would definitely own the building.
3: Yeah. by now I would say. <laughs> so they've been uh, nothing. They've been in the black since I don't know 150 BC.
2: So they just don't have to sell many, I guess. Yeah,
3: that would probably be my guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe he
0: runs a gambling ring in the basement <laughs> <laughs> <All right, laughs> or a little, a little
2: side now. business going on. <laughs> oh my yeah. God.
0: Anyway, it's nice to have you on, Alicia, and thank
4: you for
2: Thanks. supporting us
0: on Patreon.
2: You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. I'm
4: jealous awesome. that your Patronus is a fox. I've never heard anybody else being a fox before, and I want to be one.
2: It's pretty cool, right? I was. I feel like I'm one of the very few people that's happy with what they got as their
0: Patronus. Yeah,
4: it's awesome. I love foxes. Same
2: as um, Seamus has the same one as me, I guess. Mm. Yeah. You know,
0: it's perfect timing, actually, that you are on because our sole news news item this week is about Cursed Child coming to Canada. It is the sixth production. Oh,
2: so exciting. I know. So
0: it's going to be, it opens fall 2020 at Toronto's Ed Mervish Theatre. How far are you from Toronto?
2: Um... If I were to drive, it would be about a 10-hour drive. Oh, okay. <laughs> Flight-wise, so it's not very far. I would fly have there. Have
0: you seen it yet?
2: I haven't, so I do intend to fly there when it when it comes.
0: Excellent, excellent. It's pretty mind-blowing to me that by fall 2020, there are going to be six iterations of Cursed Child running nightly around the world. <laughs> That's a lot of Cursed Child <laughs> happening.
2: Taking over the world.
0: Truly. And you have to think that they're not done yet. Eric, um, I you know, Hamilton is closing here in Chicago, which is a pretty big deal because it's been open for, what,
3: three years? Yeah, and I can't count how many friends of mine have, have you know, played the lottery daily to this day still. Yeah, I know Pat's done that. I did it for a while.
0: Yeah, I've won the lottery twice. But one of our listeners, and of course, you know, this is how it always goes as soon as you hear that a show is closing. One of our listeners saw Hamilton in Chicago, Lizzie. And She got talking with the security guard, and the security guard claimed – take this with a huge grain of salt – but the security guard claimed that Cursed Child is coming next to (laughs) Chicago (laughs) at that theater. Oh, my God. It might be wishful thinking, but I don't know. I can't – I don't know. New York, San Francisco, Toronto – and chicago Those, uh, that seems like
4: too much curse child yeah yeah i can't picture it also that theater is too small for the staging that they use so i they would have to do so many revamps to the that specific theater for curse child to even work in it which would be good cuz that theater is designed very very poorly
3: is it the nederlander where is this
4: um I CIBC. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, okay. I know my Chicago theaters.
4: I've seen a number of other shows there, and the just the layout of the audience is terrible. And Curse Child, I know everybody is going to want to have a good seat, so they would have to do a lot of revamps for that space.
0: I feel like Chicago is too close to New York for them to open another Curse Child here. There are a lot of mi- big cities in the Midwest, so I guess that could be the reason
3: why it's just easy for people to get here. I don't know. We'll see. That'd be crazy. Didn't they say when they first, there's that, I'm in my brain, it's rattling around this old interview with John Tiffany and Jack Thorne where they were like, you will be able to see it. Right. <laughs> you will be able to see this show. And we thought it meant live streaming to movie theaters, which is a much cheaper way of doing the, what they're already doing.
0: No, they actually meant we're going to open it in every city in the world.
3: <laughs> every city above a certain population is going to get their cursed child. <laughs>
0: But we have said, I think we've speculated, will it tour? And it just seems unlikely that it would tour because the show pieces are so big that y- you can't carry that around. Anyway, so yeah, it's been a bit of a slow news period, but that's okay. Because on today's episode, we're talking about the lightning struck tower from Half-Blood Prince. But first, we have some emails. Laura, do you want to read the first one for us?
1: Sure. This first one comes from Jacob. Jacob says, in this week's episode, 418, you were talking about the question of if your soul would be split, thus allowing you to create a horcrux, if you perform assisted suicide on someone who is dying, like in hospice care. You said that you think that since, quote, they're still dying, your soul would split. I think this is definitely not true. Here is a quote from the prince's tale. If you don't mind dying, said Snape roughly, why not let Draco do it? That boy's soul is not yet so damaged, said Dumbledore. I would not have it ripped apart on my account. And my soul, Dumbledore? Mine? You alone know whether it will harm your soul to help an old man avoid pain and humiliation, said Dumbledore. One of the reasons Dumbledore wants Snape to kill him is because if Draco did it, it would be murder. Snape doing it would be a mercy. Killing someone who wants to die, like someone in hospice, is not murder, and thus the soul would not be ripped. I like it.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. Good yep. point.
1: Yeah, I agree
2: with that. I remember when I was listening to uh, the episode when you guys were talking about that. I, I felt the same way because it's just such a harsh, such a harsh thing to do. That if it was out of mercy, I don't think doesn't seem like something that would
3: rip a soul. I guess that ties into Dumbledore's uh, w- what he says about how to the only way to fix it is remorse, and so that kind of does tie into why it wouldn't work if you're if it is a, a mercy act because you have to sort of like have regret to do it and that would actually heal the soul back together. So if it's something you don't already want to do or are doing for a friend, that doesn't necessarily fit the criteria needed to split the human soul.
1: Yeah.
0: I didn't have a good answer prepared admittedly when we spoke about this two weeks ago because I was pretty wine buzzed by that part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one we did live, right? Yes, yes, it was. Next email is from Lainey. I've been listening to you guys off and on for the past four or five years as a fully dysfunctional mid-20-year-old. I love being able to (laughs) keep up with what's going on with one of my favorite obsessions. I've caught in once before, but since I'm an intermittent listener, I've yet to hear if I've been aired. But the question I have now is super simple and I hope might benefit others. I have yet to purchase the HP films because my roommate had them before I moved out. And let's be honest, I could just get the new Warner Brothers streaming or wherever the movies get added but I'd love to own them. Is there a special set or editions of the movies you would suggest so I get the bonus best bonus features and extra stuff? This has been a problem I feel because I there aren't any major box sets with the deleted scenes and like everything all in one. I would say the best box sets to get are the Ultimate Editions, but I don't even think they sell them
3: brand new anymore. And they might. I don't. Do they ever go on on Blu-ray? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I actually have the Blu-ray box set but there's no extra scenes or
3: because the ones the ultimate editions i was thinking of were four disc sets of dvd and they had the first dvd was the movie but the second dvd was actually the movie with deleted scenes built in mm-hmm. um and they did that at least for the first four harry potter films but it was only on dvd that i can recall yeah um The other thing to consider is that I got – I have these Blu-rays of the Harry Potter uh, series that I got. They're double discs, so it's movies one and two, movies three and four are per set at Walmart for like $5 on Black Friday. And it was amazing. I was like, okay, I can upgrade. I can get HD. I know. Wow. Um, It was like a double feature. You know the the brand. It's like Walmart does these special double features. The problem is – The HD Blu-rays that I have, the aspect ratio is so vastly different than what I remember. So I'm actually comparing images because I'm actually working on revamping the caption contest over on MuggleNet. But looking at the images, like I started out with full screen DVD, like full screen, the 4x3. And the height that you get in those shots is so wonderful and beautiful. I actually prefer those. Mm, um, Interesting. Because it's just so much of the frame and what I'm at least nostalgically familiar with gets cut off to fit the very, very wide box, widescreen type thing. So that's a good point. I kind of lean towards the old school, like as old as you can get for your quality standards would be my advice. VHS baby.
1: At the bottom. I I have a confession, y'all. Um, and it's interesting because this just came up in conversation last night. I don't currently own any of the movies.
3: What? <gasps> you fake fan.
1: I know. And it's because growing up, like, we always got the movies for like Christmas or whatever. And even like by the time I was moved out, I would still get them as Christmas presents. And I guess they just sort of became fixtures at my parents' house, so they still have them. Um, but I don't I don't have my own set. And last night, Mark was like, yeah, you have to get a set. And I was like, well, why? Like, I mean, I can stream them if I really want to watch them. And he was like, no, like, you've got this, like, awesome, like, Harry Potter Lego set, like, figurine that we have all set up in the living room. <laughs> We're getting our house banners and putting them up in the office. Like, you can't not you have the wow. movies. That's yeah." Cool. Yeah, so we're going to get, you know, the hanging banners Mm -hmm. that hang from the ceiling. We're going to get the Ravenclaw and Slytherin ones, put them up in here. Don't
0: don't bring this up, please. Now Pat's going to have this idea in (laughs) his head. He's going to ask me to do it in my place. (laughs) Um. But yeah, so I
1: think that it's something I have to invest in too, because apparently I'm a fake fan if I don't
4: have them. Well, wasn't there that one? like the uh, Hogwarts, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like a cube where there was like the hidden compartments to find a special DVD that had extra stuff in it and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't that one have all the extra stuff? Our friends Andrew and Edward have that, Eric. Yeah, they do. And when you, when they were doing the Ultimate
3: Editions or. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was called Ultimate Editions. They did a documentary and it was a seven or eight part documentary and each separate movie had one part of the eight part documentary. So it was like looking at casting, looking at special effects, looking at makeup uh, on each of these films. And so I think that Hogwarts collection, it was called, the one that Andrew and Edward have, uh, has all of those transferred to... HD and I'm trying to figure out there's an 8 film collection box set that's like $55 from Walmart Best Buy Amazon everywhere you go but I'm you'll have to check the reviews specifically to see if they have those individual documentaries yeah I don't I don't that whole scene is a mess
0: right now and my guess is they're not going to release the perfect box set because everybody as we're saying is moving to streaming and Laura I actually don't have physical copies of the movies either so don't feel too bad.
1: Oh, okay, cool.
0: If I were to buy physical copies, yeah, I guess I don't need to buy them now since Pat's moving in soon and he has them. But if I were to get copies in the movies, I would just buy streaming. I can't subscribe to this idea of buying movies anymore.
3: They just take up space. No, thank you. That's it's Harry Potter. You know you're going to get your too. money's worth. <laughs> yeah. You know you're going to get your money's worth. It's Harry Potter. Like You don't ever need to like reference or turn on. What if HBO Go doesn't load or something? <laughs> well, then... I'll go outside. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done doing whatever I'm going to do. I'm going to take a walk. I'll read the books. (laughs) Well, so where are people streaming now? Because I've heard two things. I've heard HBO has them now, um, but somebody else was also able to through the ABC app? No, 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 no. So HBO doesn't have them
0: anymore. They did for a time, and it was like big news. It was like last year, right at the start of the new year, they put all the movies there. But NBC, since they like- NBC I don't know it's a whole thing they're at like sci-fi you can stream them through sci-fi or one of those channels it's an NBC owned channel I know that much
3: I think one of our patrons was talking about being able to stream them with the deleted scenes put back she in, was which is yeah yeah which is a weird thing to want to do but that's cool
0: but here's the thing Warner is about to release their streaming app at the end of the year and it's a good bet that all the Harry Potter movies will just be there and if they're not going to do their own TV show harry potter tv show then i would imagine that they would have the extended editions available on warner streaming whatever they end up calling it yeah good point whatever it will be it won't be as good as disney plus tell you that much (laughs) so uh, they do
2: have it on netflix too i'm pretty sure but i know the netflix here in canada um they only have like half the series
0: yeah it's not available netflix u.s i know that much but yeah some countries do have it on netflix it's weird. The
3: streaming, the whole streaming situation around the world is so weird. That's why I'm not going to be on streaming, because they could take away what you've already purchased, because technically you've only purchased a license. It's true. So
2: Exactly. They have the control.
3: Exactly. I love Spotify too much, so I just ignore that line of thinking. <laughs> no, I love Spotify too. The playlists are very intuitive and death to Apple music.
0: <laughs> I agree with you, actually. <laughs> Eric, do you want to read the next email?
3: Yeah, sure. This comes from Julia. Uh, She says, Hi, Mogulcast. I just wanted to say, thank goodness the locket was the Horcrux that Dumbledore helped Harry to find. Or, well, its decoy, which still needed to be found. Capable as the trio were, I do not think they would have been able to find it without him. Sure, they pulled off the Gringotts heist, but they knew mostly what to expect and could prepare for it. The cave was the real wild card, and I can't help but assume that Dumbledore was very deliberate in his choice of which Horcrux to go after with Harry. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Julia. We talked about this. We have we are all of this opinion, I think. I, I had never thought about it really this way, but that's a great point. <laughs>
0: we, I mean, who, who of the trio would have been the one to give their blood initially? Would it have been Harry? I guess.
3: <laughs> Ron would have just been stuck in that antechamber for hours. <laughs> he would have tripped and skinned his knee.
4: I'm sure Ron would have given his blood, but it would have been a prime moment for Hermione to shine with all like the sensing the magic and all that kind of stuff.
2: Ooh. That's
3: something you feel, it's not something you can read. I would argue that none of the trio could do it. Hmm. It had to be Dumbledore. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I guess so.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've never seen anybody else in the series be able to do that, right? It's
0: Yeah.
1: At least my interpretation was that that is something that only like a very learned wizard would be able to accomplish you know yeah totally
3: dumbledore praises himself for being able to find the boat also and if dumbledore pats himself on the back over something you know it's something the kids can't do and given the weird weight association or or, or magical was the boat weighs your magical ability those three wizards like maybe they wouldn't be able to even cross the lake um if the trio did get into the cave they wouldn't be able to find the boat or ride in it mm-hmm. Maybe. I agree with
2: that.
0: All right. One more email. It is the longest, so I will take it because I put it in here. This is from Stephanie. I was listening to the latest episode, Next Level Magic, and wanted to weigh in regarding this Harry is the worst at everything debate. I know it's mostly (laughs) tongue in cheek, but I can't help but feel that most of us give Harry a rough time. Eric, I've always (laughs) thought of Harry as a slightly above average student. He's the best in his year at DADA, but sucks at History of Magic. While controversial, I think the Half-Blood Prince's book shows that Harry could have been a bright potion student. He can effectively follow the instructions to create a perfect potion. He just never had a supportive teacher in that subject. I think a lot of this comes down to Hermione. Because Harry is asked to do something that most adults can't, he needs a genius best friend. Had J.K. Rowling not included Hermione, there's no way an an 11 to 17-year-old would have been able to complete these impossible tasks alone. While I love her in the books, I think this is a detriment of her as a character. Even as an 11-year-old, she's smarter than most of the other students in the school. Next to her, everyone looks like a dunce. But why is Harry's lack of genius abilities a problem? Why do we expect our hero to be more Hermione-like than Harry-like? I personally really enjoy that the hero is an average student who struggles with things we all do. In pop culture, I think it's the default for the hero to be someone like Hermione. Sure, she has her flaws, but lots of people read her as perfect. So, um... I, you know, I I agree with that. Why should Harry be perfect? He doesn't need to be. Harry
3: should not be perfect. I I would agree with that. I and I I like the idea of um rejecting the idea of Hermione being like the main character just because it's it's too easy. And I do agree the trio all complement one another very well. Yeah, um, I agree with that too. I just there are many times while reading that I want more from Harry. That's all. Okay, very diplomatic answer.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, I don't know. I have some thoughts on that. I think, again, I think it's great that, you know, you have someone average to be the hero. And also, I definitely agree that Harry could have been a much better student at potions if he had a teacher who didn't have a grudge against him from day one. But um, I don't think I would say that it's uh, a detriment to her character that Hermione's the the genius best friend. Um, I think if anything... You know, her, Harry, and Ron working together as a team throughout the series creates one of the, the biggest and important roles of the series, which is friendship. Yeah. And, you know, Hermione can't help it if everyone else looks like a dunce compared to her.
3: <laughs> yeah, don't hate on Hermione.
2: Yeah, I mean, if anything, this is one of my favorite characteristics about her is that she doesn't try to dumb herself down to fit in. And I don't know. I don't think I really have any expectations of Harry to be more like her, Um and I definitely don't think that she reads as perfect. I mean, if you look at the details, like you know, she did confund Cormac that time, and you know, she's kind of looked at as a bit of a know-it-all. Like she always shoots her hand up in the air, and um, you know, and that you know, when, a little while ago when she was jealous of of Harry's potion success, I, I don't think she reads as as you know as perfect. But um, well, you know, I don't think it's a detriment to her character is what I'm saying. No.
0: And in defense of Hermione, <laughs> J.K. Rowling writes a billion times in the series how Hermione is so well-read. It's not like Hermione is just pulling this out of her butt and it's unjustified as a reader or from a writing perspective. It is justified because she is studious. She yeah, works for it. She earned
3: it. Yeah, she's taken the time to learn, which is yeah. why Harry's potions scores you know, really get under her skin. And I, I do think... I I don't think uh, to just slightly disagree with this email that uh Harry's ability to read the very carefully laid out instructions in the Half-Blood Prince's book mean that he'd be a good potion student. I think it means exactly the opposite. He needed his hand held so badly uh you know to achieve those results whereas if you have a basic understanding of potions um you can you can get those sorts of results more intuitively.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, I I agree with that. And I totally understand where Hermione's been coming from this whole book, in terms of the Prince's Potion book, because Harry's cheating. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, and I think it, a lot of this comes to a head when it when you when it comes time to read book seven, because I think it comes down to whether or not you think Harry realistically or satisfactorily survives and and makes it. Harry and his friends, and this comes back to our previous email: Harry's the worst at everything. Because, again, the cave, it's super important that Dumbledore be the one to take them into the cave. Yeah. Like, they couldn't have done that alone. I think we can probably all agree. And so does that have to do with them being teenagers? Sure. Um, But also it's they haven't been able to really study the relevant topics. And I think that that's sort of an issue when it comes to defeating Voldemort.
0: All right, so that was this week's mailbag. And if you want to write to us, just go to MuggleCast.com and use the contact form or at gmail.com, or hit us up on social media. I want to thank everybody who's supporting us on Patreon. We just crossed the 1,000 patron milestone, which is pretty incredible. Wow. Uh, thank you to everybody who has brought us to this major milestone. And if you're still on the fence about doing it, now is a great time to sign up because we do have signed album art going out very soon eric and i are uh getting everything together getting ready to ship it eric micah and i signed together laura signed it a few weeks before us and that'll be going out soon you will see uh on patreon that you have to pledge at the dumbledore's army level to be eligible to receive it so check it out patreon.com slash there are a ton of benefits over there so
3: we, uh, we recently incentivized
0: people to get us over that hump We did. We said, if you help us get past 1,000 patrons, we'll pull some leftover MuggleCast stickers out of the vault and send them to you. And actually, I just dropped all those stickers into the mailbox this morning to the people
3: who who helped us. So, Mm, Very nice. Thank you for coming together, y'all. And there's something else, too. (laughs) I'm going to give the people who joined us that put us over the 1,000 patron mark uh, when we did the push for it are going to get an exclusive preview of upcoming... Harry and Ginny fan fiction that I'm writing. and <laughs> By saying it on this podcast means it's real and I'm bound to do it now. Yes. But
2: I'm so excited for that. Uh,
3: thank you. I'm I'm filling in <laughs> the, the three week gap uh, that was omitted between the Seer Overheard and, and the Sectum Semper chapter before it. So I will be writing that. I think that's a great idea. You have your work cut out
0: for you. You know exactly what uh, portion of the series you're going to fill in. Yeah, you're filling a need as well. People want to know, like you. A lot of Harry Ginny fans want to know.
3: I'm just trying to. I feel like you must have when you wrote Never Severus, like yes, you just you just want this couple's love to be main stage, front and center. <laughs> yes. Although my my version probably won't be explicit, but uh, we'll yes,
0: see. mine was very inappropriate. <laughs> 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 highly, highly inappropriate. <laughs> uh we should post a link to that so everybody can check it out again but Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> Eric will be writing his Hinnie fanfic as he wrote here and uh I'm sure everybody will get a taste of that at some point but the people yeah. who helped us get past 1000 the 1000 milestone are going to uh get a look at it first. So you're going to keep it G rated, Eric? I don't know about uh, G, I don't know about G rated. Maybe PG, maybe H and G rated. Okay, okay. I mean mine was mine was X rated, so it's it's going to be very different. <laughs> it will probably be PG-13. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, so before we get to chapter by chapter, we have a new sponsor for the month of June. And everybody listening is going to be interested in this one. The Wizarding World Figurine Collection from Eagle Moss Hero Collector. These are officially authorized by Warner Brothers Entertainment, and they offer a slew of Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts figurines from Harry and Hermione to Newt and Queenie. To Fox and the Akami, every figurine has been sculpted in a classic movie pose at 116 scale. And what's also cool about these is each figurine comes with a guide to the character. I thought this was a pleasant surprise when I opened up Fox. Fox was the one I was most excited about. And they give you like this whole history of Fox and like uh, key scene and the best character moments. It, these are really well done. Eric, you got the figurines too. Which
3: was your favorite? You know, I was going to mention Fox too. Isn't he perched on the sorting hat? Not on the sorting hat, but he's on he's on some sort of perch. Yeah, it's a golden golden perch. But um, you mentioned the movie pose, and my favorite would then be the Lord Voldemort, because this is very much uh, the Priori Incantatum pose, where he is overwhelmed by the wand connection. Mm. At least that's how I read Voldemort's pose. So Voldemort and Harry, because Harry also has his wand raised... You know I'm just thinking about placement on my mantle for these figurines, and I'm gonna have Harry and and Voldemort dueling as you do,
0: oh yeah um, that's cool yeah but... with Fox um he's actually the scale against some of my other Harry Potter collectibles so i I feel like I'm adding Fox to that collection, which is super cool um it was just it was just a delight having him fit right in and then. One of the other nice things about the Wizarding World figurine collection is that you can collect them all and create this landscape of characters. So sign up for the collection at herocollector.com wizards and get your first figurine, a spellcasting Harry Potter, as seen at the Battle of Hogwarts, for only $9.95 with free shipping. And if you do it now, Hero Collector will add Hermione Granger as a year one student for free. So you're going to get two figurines for 10 bucks, and that includes free shipping. And what's more... A free exclusive art print is included with every shipment. And then thereafter, two new figurines with detailed character guides and art print will be delivered each month for only $15.95 plus $2.45 shipping each. So this is like a subscription service kind of where you get some new Harry Potter friends each week. And these are just beautifully designed. As a subscriber, you're also eligible for special offers and free gifts personalized to the Hogwarts house of your choice. I, I I know this is true because I went through the sign up process and it said which house are you? I said oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> and plus, you can cancel your subscription at any time. So for full details and to take advantage of the special offer, visit herocollector.com/wizards, and we'll post a couple pictures of these on our social media channels because everybody should check these out. Okay, it's time now for chapter by chapter, Half bud Prince, the lightning struck tower. As always, we'll start with our seven word summary and Alicia, you're gonna kick us off.
2: Um Dumbledore
0: goes over. Oh wow. wow. <laughs>
1: oh wow.
4: <laughs> Pat, you you wanna do a word? Uh sure. Um Dumbledore goes over. The Lightning. Struck. <laughs> thingy
0: oh shaking it up dumbledore goes over the lightning struck and <laughs> yeah, a tower would have been too predictable <laughs> so as a reminder at the end of the last chapter they had just left the cave where they got the fake horcrux though though they don't know it yet and dumbledore has just said i am not worried harry i am with you Aww. harry does take care of them he successfully apparates the two to hogsmeade and upon arrival, it's very clear that Dumbledore is not well. He needs a little help getting around, and he jokingly says that was no health drink. This, this is one of the worst situations for a kid, though, right? When you have to take care of one of your parents or a family member or an elder, you just never imagine it because, of course, you're growing up. They're always taking care of you, and then you ultimately end up taking care of them at some point. It's it's just a really sad scenario. Um I know, Pat, you can kind of speak to this.
4: Yeah. Um, a couple years ago, my grandpa died of cancer. But near the end, it was very much like somebody who was so strong that you looked up to for so long. And then I was having to like help feed him, help bathe him, change his adult diaper that he had to wear, like all that kind of stuff, which you never expect you'd ever have to do. And you can just tell that it's also so degrading for them to have to have you help them as well like my grandpa I could just even though he couldn't really talk I could tell looking in his face he's just so embarrassed that he needed me and like my grandma or my mom anybody else to help with that you never expect to lose that kind of function and then all of a sudden you have to rely on all these people that you were always taking care of before
0: yeah and then for Harry or kind of, you know, for you Pat, you're always you're always looking up to this person and then it's just surreal
3: to have to take care of them.
4: Yeah, you're not used to seeing them in such a vulnerable state.
3: Right. Yeah, and right. I think this um I think that is something that J.K. Rowling uh at some point must have been familiar with because it is very delicately written, I think here as well like we're, we're through we're seeing this through Harry's perspective and so it is quite a loss. Um Dumbledore remains in in sort of good spirits about it, which is good, like, through the end. And the situation's a little bit different because Dumbledore has sort of planned to die tonight, like he always knew it was going to happen. But still this feeling of tremendous loss of, you know, the man Dumbledore once was, now Harry's holding him, uh, having to support his weight, is very clear in the book. Yeah,
4: and I think it goes to show how strong their actual relationship was because at the end of book five, you see Harry hating Dumbledore for not speaking to him the whole year, for not telling him the truth about so many things. He's throwing stuff across his office. But then a year later, that relationship is basically fully mended. Harry's looking up to him again as one of the like ultimate f- figures in his life. So it just shows that dynamic of like real life family, I could, I, there's so many times I was so angry at my grandpa, (laughs) but then a few months later, or not even a few months later, a few hours later, you could be back to exactly how you were. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I think Harry handles it really well too. He's not sort of like awkward, like, Oh, I don't know what to do. He just kind of, I don't know. He's very aware of how Dumbledore might be feeling and very careful and always looking at him, checking on him. Yeah.
3: There's kind of a lot of wisdom to what he told Harry of, of, you know, making him obey everything he said, because Dumbledore is capable of articulating exactly what he needs exactly when he needs it. And so as long as his faculties remain, he is able to, like, Harry's able to help without needing to know. He doesn't need to have that extra sense of what do I do now? And he fortunately is spared that pain and agony of having to figure it out. Dumbledore just tells him what he needs, which which is real good. um. But I wanted to mention, so he he does make that joke, that potion, meaning the one in the cave, was no health drink. Is that funny to you guys? Because I think it's kind of supposed to be like a joke that Dumbledore is cracking. Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. self-deprecating. Is it? Yeah. I think so, to a degree.
3: Okay. It's just like uh, nobody was expecting the potion to be a health drink. So it's just like, uh, that was no health drink. It's kind of funny. It's like Dumbledore in his last moments we'll get to that later like he says a lot of funny things in this chapter that i do genuinely kind of belly laugh at um so i think we're really gearing up for a good dumbledore finale here in the first opening paragraph
4: yeah it's like when you trip on something and you're like oh dang i'm real graceful it's like that kind of moment
0: (laughs) yeah
3: yeah sure (laughs)
0: <laughs> so Rosemarita spots them operating into town and alerts them to the bad news that the, the dark mark has risen above Hogwarts and Dumbledore requests brooms and that she alert the ministry. Alicia, you had a question here.
2: Yeah. Um, so then, so they're trying to figure out how they can get back to the castle and um, Rosemerita says, you know, oh, I have a couple of, a couple of brooms back the three broomsticks, but she said, should I run in and fetch them? And then Dumbledore's like, oh, no, Harry will do it. Why can't she Accio her own brooms? And I just thought that was really strange because my first thought was, wait, is she a squib? And then I was like, oh, no, she can't be because she did do the Imperius curse on Katie Bell, right?
3: Uh, Yes. Yeah. So Draco Imperius her. That might be what it is, though, is that if rosemerta to- Rosemarita wanted to run and get the brooms even though it would have been more intuitive to summon them. Maybe that's a delay tactic. Rosemarita is is still under the Imperius curse. Dumbledore doesn't know it. Harry doesn't know it. So maybe she would have run back to the three broomsticks or whatever and then just dawdled like really not brought the brooms. It would have been it might have been a little bit more time for the Death Eaters to cause havoc up at the school if she had done that and then Dumbledore is just like, oh, Harry can do it. And he does it.
1: And, I also,
2: in his current condition, didn't really notice, didn't suspect anything. Yeah.
1: I also think Dumbledore might suspect that she could be under the Imperius curse. I mean, later on in the chapter, he kind of like plays dumb to Draco when this comes up. But I'm not convinced that he wasn't already suspicious about it, which could be him, you know, in this case saying like, uh, no, we're we're going to like circumvent you. And um, avoid you going back and being able to contact anybody else. You know, especially since later we find out how she was communicating with Draco. Yeah,
3: right. I like that. If he had his suspicions, I sure hope they aren't that deep because that's essential to that's akin to torture, really allowing somebody that, you know, is being imperious to have their will taken from them uh, over the course of a school year. Like if Dumbledore really had any inkling. That's something he should have put a stop to. I always read it as...
2: Well, and he kind of has that moment of realization later too, right? Where he's kind of like, oh, wait, yes, Rosemarita. It's almost like he's just really realizing it for the first time. Yeah,
4: I always read it as it was another moment of Dumbledore giving Harry confidence. Like, I know he can do this. This will help him get us to the castle safely again.
3: That's a good point. It has to be Harry that does it. Did you guys think it's funny that uh, there's just some broomsticks hanging around in the three broomsticks? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They're just like behind the bar or whatever. Now there's just one broomstick. It's now the one (laughs) broomstick.
0: (laughs) So, um, you know, speaking of these broomsticks, Dumbledore gets this burst of focus and energy. When they're riding the brooms back to Hogwarts, the quote is, Harry glanced sideways at Dumbledore, ready to grab him should he fall. But the sight of the dark mark seemed to have acted upon Dumbledore like a stimulant. He was bent low over his broom, his eyes fixed upon the mark. And this reminds us of that perfect breaststroke that he did (laughs) chapter (laughs) two earlier and the surge that one of our
3: listeners have had brought up. This seems to be what's going on here again. If this were a yoga move, it would be called Seeker Pose. (laughs) Yeah, Um, right. He's bent low, (laughs) eyes fixed upon what's ahead of him. Like you know, he's on. It's his his snitch. Yeah, I think Dumbledore was a seeker in a past life. (laughs) Harry looked over and said, "Dumbledore, you could have been a seeker." (laughs) He says, "I'm more of a chaser, really." (laughs) (laughs) And then you found a thread here. Yeah, so when they're on their brooms heading to Hogwarts, and it, it, I actually love that Dumbledore, Harry like glances over and he realizes that what Dumbledore is doing is muttering under his breath and reversing the spells that uh, prevent people from entering, uh, like at, because they're going to be entering Hogwarts at speed, there would be a natural. I almost picture in my head like a bubble, like what ended up in the movie and the in the final movie, yeah, uh, like a bubble shield. Like they would have just bounced right off had Dumbledore not been doing this, but Harry it has a brief period of self-reflection and asks kind of himself. He's feeling guilty about the people that he stood, he's asked to stand guard while he was away. He was a hundred percent right to do that, but he's really worried that one of his friends are now dead. And so he asks himself uh, or, or the book says, would he be responsible again for the death of a friend? And this uh, to me connects the thread directly back to the end of book four where Cedric Diggory died, and Cedric Diggory, in the end, was a friend of Harry's. And so it's kind of a connection to, and Harry feels very guilty about it. Again, the cup wouldn't have been a portkey if it weren't for Harry. So Harry's already begun to blame himself for the deaths of his friends, and this is kind of a crucial thing that Harry always does when it becomes this you know, time of the book.
0: Yeah, and what a terrible position to be put in as a child. But uh, things happen fast. So upon returning to the school, they're they're up at the Astronomy Tower, and Dumbledore immobilizes Harry just as Draco is arriving. So Dumbledore just wants to keep Harry out of the way so that everything that needs to happen happens. Yeah, and
2: then um, Draco, you know, what's the name of the spell that he uses on? Expelliarmus? Yes, thank you. I was totally <laughs> blanking on that. Uh, yeah, he uses Expelliarmus on Dumbledore, and as he's doing that, um, Dumbledore is, you know, casting that spell on, on Harry, and so that he's not going to be able to move, or, you know, the body freezing one. And, um, yeah, I just can't imagine the guilt of knowing that you cost Dumbledore his final chance of defending himself. Not that it's Harry's fault, mm-hmm. and it's what he wanted, but I can't help but feel like that. Would be a heavy thing to have to live with afterwards.
0: Yeah.
4: Can you imagine if Harry was like mid run when he was <laughs> <laughs> immobilized and just like tipped over? Broke his nose again. I wonder
0: do you get sore if you're immobilized while in an awkward position? I guess not because your muscles aren't in use. Um,
3: isn't there, I think there is, like, you can cramp up, like, if you, if you get frozen in, like, a weird, because gravity would still pull on your body,
0: mm. But it's magic. Damn, that would suck. That would be awful. No one do that to me, please. So Dumbledore speaks to Draco in this scene in a way, to me, that's very reminiscent of how he would speak to Tom in scenes we saw earlier in this book, with confidence and authority, and in a couple of instances, he's one step ahead. For example, Draco says, you don't know what I've done. And Dumbledore says, "Uh, yeah, I do. You tried to kill Ron and Katie and you've been trying poorly to kill me all year. And I just loved that this was reminiscent of Tom and yet such an entirely different character. Tom willingly put himself into that situation, whereas Draco, he was forced into this and he sees no way out. And then there's this other line, you have managed to introduce Death Eaters into my school, which I admit I thought impossible. Is he telling the truth here about not knowing about Draco's work? Because he knows everything
3: else. Uh, Yeah, but it's specifically because as they get into their conversation with Snape and they have a little tussle as to whether or not Snape is working for Dumbledore or working for Voldemort. Um, Draco says regardless, he has left Snape out of his plans with the vanishing cabinet. And so Snape doesn't know about what Draco's doing in the rumor requirement. Therefore, Dumbledore doesn't know what he's doing in the rumor requirement. So Dumbledore is telling the truth. I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily believe that.
2: What do you think Snape must have suspected it though? I mean, he did make the unbreakable vow to help Draco as much as he possibly could. So I feel like there's a lot on the line for him to know what he's
0: doing. Right. When Snape asked Draco, so what are you doing about this?
3: Yeah, Draco just won't tell him. The only person who was following up that closely on Draco was Harry, and nobody was listening to Harry. If Dumbledore was to know about what was happening in the room requirement, it would have been Harry to, who who would have told him. Because um, Harry's just spent all year agonizing over it, and Dumbledore's just like, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter. It yeah.
0: does not seem possible to me, that Dumbledore would not be aware of something going on this serious at his own school.
3: Um, but then the alternative then, playing devil's advocate in lieu of Micah, is Dumbledore willingly allowed Death Eaters to enter the school while he himself was not going to be there, which I think Dumbledore would just never do. Mm.
4: Right. I agree, because Dumbledore, I mean, yes, he's very good at hiding the full truth, but he's always Willing to admit when he's wrong or willing to admit when he doesn't know something, on top of that,
0: he also lies to people in the moment or isn't entirely truthful. I don't know, but anyway, um, Eric and other con- connecting the threads here, you wanted to point out this is the second time that poor Harry is laying paralyzed under the invisibility cloak.
3: <laughs> yeah, in this book, second time in this book, this guy <laughs> has no luck, he's paralyzed, he's under a cloak. What are you going to do? This, Nobody's going to find
0: it. This him. cloak needs to be upgraded to resist <laughs> spells that paralyze you. Or just resist all spells. <laughs> that would be
3: pretty Well, it pleases me to no end that maybe it was Dumbledore's familiarity with the cloak because he had it for a period of time that he knew like what spells would work on it. Because some invisibility cloaks repel some spells, I think. I don't know. It's Yeah, weird. most
4: of them are impervious to spells. So Dumbledore either would have had to be... Extremely accurate in his aiming, maybe if the cloak swished up and he got Harry's foot or something, but most times the cloak just like absorbs the spell. So pretty good stuff.
0: So we also get info dump central here. And while I was reading this, I was thinking about the Cormen Strike books from J.K. Rowling, because I feel like at the end of those books, each one, there's a lot of info dumping going on. Yeah,
4: 100%. <laughs>
0: so uh, we find out how Draco got the Death Eaters into the school, how he Imperius Rosmerita, and notably, during all this, Draco Draco's getting into the nitty-gritty of what he's been doing. And he speaks with detail and pride to me. Despite working against Dumbledore, it seems like he's seeking Dumbledore's approval. He wants his headmaster to be impressed with his work, even though the work is to kill him. Did you guys pick up that vibe, too?
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. It's interesting, because... I feel like we've never really gotten to see Dumbledore and Draco interact. And Draco, I think, kind of like Harry, is. he seems like he's a pretty average student. And I think that he's just seeing this really powerful wizard who he's been told that he should hate. But he still wants that person's approval. Right? Like, he still wants him to be impressed with how he outsmarted him, even though he really didn't.
3: I saw a Draco Malfoy, I guess you'd call them truther, over on our MuggleCast patron recently point out how Draco is always just behind Hermione as, at grades in school. Hmm. So I think Draco's probably an above average, like definitely above Harry. Do
1: we where, get that uh, in the books? Like, I think that might be a I thing. Don't, I don't remember.
4: There's something that's mentioned in book two where where Lucius is like, "Oh, this is the person you always let beat you," like about Hermione. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe that's
3: maybe that's the concern. But I, I think the the thing that I love about this Draco and Dumbledore confrontation is it it comes out like at first Draco's just like I'm here to kill you, and Dumbledore's like okay, and he's like you should be afraid, and he's like you're not really going to kill me. And once they get past the pretense, it then devolves into that like Draco is more forthcoming with his story, and like Dumbledore is complimentary. Like th- th- this is this is the most amazing thing about. Dumbledore, I think, is in his dying moments. He's he's taking the time to give credit where it's due and say things like, "Oh, I had no idea. Uh, (laughs) I didn't. I didn't think it was possible to get Death Eaters into the castle." So he's really. It's not that Draco. For me, it's not that Draco's craving the affection. I think Draco could do just fine without it. Even though it's not, you know, it's it's help. It's a blissful reprieve from having to act and kill. But it's that Dumbledore is totally forthcoming with compliments. And so Draco's going to take them.
1: I think it's also a cry for help.
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah. And I do think that Draco is probably actually a really, I don't know if powerful is the right word, but a very adept wizard in the fact that he was able to fix a vanishing cabinet on his own with no help whatsoever. Like, yeah, he communicated to Borgenenberg to see, like, when he's passing stuff through to test it. But he did fix this incredibly complex magical cabinet on his own. Yeah. And and
3: I mean, you could be lost forever, presumably. I mean, depending on the magic and how those things work, like Montague being lost for an entire school year in some kind of a half limbo is terrifying. And we don't there's no wizard shop. There's no wizard. You know, here's here's how magical objects work, unless it's just a port key where you just cast a spell at an ordinary object. There's no builder's class for, you know, the kind of magic that Draco would have encountered in the Vanishing Cabinets. And in fact, Dumbledore's insight that there must be a pair and that's how things work somehow in this magical world is another one of those areas of magic that we just have never seen before. Yeah,
4: and I wonder if a part of it is just knowing that he has such a burden on him that if he doesn't do this, his family is going to die, including himself. So I think that's putting a lot of that stress on him to prove that he can do this and that he can save his family.
3: Yeah. And, and it kind of does break my heart a little bit. I don't often find myself feeling bad for Draco, but he does say to Dumbledore that Voldemort did say, if I don't do this, he will kill me. Yeah. And that, that blows my mind. It's sort of towards the end there, but it was inferred, it was always implied that Voldemort didn't care if Draco lived or died in, in in service of this task, but when Draco actually says to Dumbledore, Voldemort told me, like, he'll kill me mm-hmm. if I don't do this. That, that for me, kind of hits, hits a heartstring.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, he's in an impossible situation right now. I do wonder if... So this whole time, Dumbledore is taunting him. Okay, do it, do it, please do it. And Draco's <laughs> not doing it. Is it simply because Draco is not a killer that he's not doing it? Is I, I wonder if he was a little bit older, would he have had more courage to do it? Because you look at his parents, who, at least Lucius, he's a terrible person. Narcissa redeems herself in the next book. But i I feel like if he was a few years older... He could have drank more of that Death Eater Kool-Aid and eventually turned into a uh, cold blood killer. So what do you guys think? Why is Draco having such a hard time actually killing Dumbledore?
1: I think this boils down to what Dumbledore has said all along, which is that it's our choices that define us. And this is Draco making a choice. You know, I think I think you're totally right, Andrew. I think he very easily could have gone down the path of becoming a cold blooded death eater killer but in this moment we see him falter and ultimately he makes the choice not to proceed with killing Dumbledore and that's a major turning point for his character yeah
3: there's also sort of the lore surrounding this great powerful wizard when you get up and actually face that person oh my god I've got to do it." it it's it's it is a moment for hesitation and I think even if Draco was a killer although I think he's very firmly not um you know the moment of action very few people can i think realistically behave the way snape behaves which is to show up and just blast him um you know I, there would naturally be a sort of hesitation because i think the ramifications of what you're about to do are implied mm-hmm. uh, and but they're very apparent i think at, the, at at the time of and you know i wanted to bring up uh, this comment that's kind of gone through it the whole year Uh, when we've been doing chapter by chapter, I know, Laura, you brought this up too, like Draco's heart not being in it. Uh, Because we talk about some of the collateral damage, uh, Katie Bell and Ron Weasley and all this stuff. But a point I wanted to make, and I kind of saved it for this chapter, is I don't think Draco knew that his heart wasn't in it until, like, right now. Until when he's actually facing down the barrel. of Like, it's easy for Dumbledore to say, and it's very true, and we all know it. But I think that Draco himself really thought... That because he had to that he could. And now he's finding that those are two way different things. That now that he he finally did everything he ever wanted to do and it's time for him to actually cast the spell, he's finding that he can't.
1: Right. And I think some of this speaks too to his upbringing in that his parents probably kept him pretty insulated from their more violent tendencies. So Draco probably grew up hearing a lot of rhetoric at home Mm. Um, And, you know, he sort of adheres to those ideologies, because that's what he grew up with. But he was never actually put in the position to have to act on that. And now he is. And he doesn't have what it takes to do it, he's realizing.
4: Have you ever wondered if because his heart not being in it? If he were to cast a spell if it would work. Like I remember back in book four when fake moody is like, All of you could say this at me right now and I would maybe get a nosebleed. (laughs) (laughs) Like I wonder if his heart not being in it if that if he were to actually say the spell, if it would even do anything.
0: Yeah. It's a good That's a really good point. It would have been like an off green spell and it would have only gone like (laughs) two feet confetti would
3: have come out of <laughs> yeah. wand. St-
1: maybe it would have like knocked Dumbledore over but not you know <laughs> yeah. blasted him off the tower
0: right
3: yeah just- <laughs> it wouldn't have ended well for Draco though to see him try and fail would have proven to the other Death Eaters that right. like they might have blasted him right away
1: yeah and that really just when you think about that that's such a good point that you brought that up because when you think about the force of Snape's spell uh I cannot imagine what the intent behind that would have had to be in order for him to be able to pull that off. Yeah. Because he didn't want to do it.
4: I think the just the pure emotion behind the this spell is what threw Dumbledore over. Well, yeah. Let's talk about that in a minute.
0: Yeah. Um, Dumbledore does offer Malfoy and his family protection, but Malfoy Draco doesn't bite. Um it also reminds me, this whole scene reminds me of early in the series when Draco was trying to encourage Harry to be on his side. Maybe that's a movieism. I, I can't remember. But Draco in the first book is trying to get Harry to be a Slytherin, be with him and Crab and Goyle. And Harry says, No, I've got my friends. Get out of here. And it, it you know, what we've just been talking about in the past few minutes reminds me. Of that, and how Draco in this moment is choosing a side, even though he doesn't take up this protection. But I also wonder if Draco wishes he took this offer from Dumbledore and how that would have I changed. I think he was
1: about to. You think so? Yeah, because there's that moment where after Dumbledore makes the offer, Harry observes that Draco's wand kind of like lowers a little bit. Mm-hmm. And right at that moment, the Death Eaters burst in. Mm-hmm. So I think the timing is. What kind of threw this off, I think, if Dumbledore had had a few more minutes with him, he might have been able to convince him
3: it's pretty impressive work too, to mm-hmm. do all to cover all that ground, yeah. in such a short time, and so selfless of Dumbledore when he knows he has to die either way, yeah, that's a good point well, and here's my question about Dumbledore's offer. He says to Draco something along the lines of we could hide you more you and your family when they come along more completely than you could ever imagine is he just offering? Another Bunko uh, Fidelius charm. I say Bunko because we've proven how, like, they're not effective (laughs) at hiding people. Obviously, it didn't work for the Potters. It has its limitations on Grimald Place, as we find out. Does Dumbledore have anything under his copious sleeves besides another Fidelius charm? Or would that be what he'd do for Draco? Well... Like, he'd be his secret keeper, or somebody would be a secret keeper. Because it is... Supposed to be a really effective charm. But when you're dealing with Death Eaters and people you really can't trust to keep the secret, it's not actually that effective of a means of protection. I have to think Dumbledore
0: has numerous hideouts around the world where he could potentially protect people if he wanted to. He has friends. He's got got friends who can hook him up with security. I I don't know if it's so much of, of a spell as it would be just physical locations that he knows are really good hideouts.
1: Maybe he'll just hide them in the Room of Requirement. (laughs) (laughs) The
0: room
3: Draco's already familiar with. Right. Um, Or maybe Nicholas Flamel's place, because, you know, whatever happened to that. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And actually, you
0: know, speaking of spinoffs, Fantastic Beasts, or Cursed Child, Draco does redeem himself. And that's one of the nice things about Cursed Child. We see the friendship... between harry and draco in the cursed child and it just it just hammers home that he really was able to redeem himself and i i'm i can't perfectly remember cursed child but i they have a bit of a rocky friendship but it is a friendship
3: i believe he makes that joke about being bossed around by hermione or something
0: yeah and like they get along they don't they fight like once or twice but it's nothing too
3: serious yeah, I mean, there's the contrivances of the plot about there's all these rumors about my son being sired by Voldemort, right. all that crap. But like, yeah, when you get down to it, I think Draco definitely has matured. Yeah. But part of that comes from loss because he's lost his wife. And so I think that, you know, a lot of his emotional growth in Cursed Child comes from just having lived a little bit. And I think he understands more than ever Harry's position, um, having mm-hmm. suffered the loss of loved ones.
0: Um, Tre- Trelawney's prediction was right in Chapter 25, by the way while she's reading the cards, the quote is if Dumbledore chooses to ignore the warnings, the cards show her bony hand closed suddenly around Harry's wrist again and again, no matter how I lay them out. And she pulled a card dramatically from underneath her shawls. The lightning struck tower calamity, disaster coming nearer all the time. Take Trelawney seriously.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe that's Dumbledore's ignorance to Malfoy's activities in the requirement. Mm. I mean, I don't. Th- I don't think that Dumbledore ignored it because I think that's a pretty. That's a pretty big oversight on his part.
1: Like,
0: I'll I'll agree with you, Alicia, because
3: you're our guest. <laughs> <laughs> Eric and Laura, though, I'll disagree with. Let's talk about these Death Eaters that burst in here real quickly before getting to the end. There's a pretty substantial sort of conversation. I mean, they're they're kind of all lingering there, waiting to see if Draco's going to do it, and he doesn't, and then Snape bursts in. But the conversations, each of them are named by name. We get a lot of insight into Fenrir Greyback, who disgustingly is there just for the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually a fourth unnamed Death Eater that we don't know who it is. Yeah, it's not Bellatrix who
0: was there in the movie. Right. Great addition. Yeah, but yeah.
3: yeah. I agree. Um, the, the funniest thing is that really the rapport that each of these Death Eaters are Dumbledore's former students as well, which is, you know, benefits of being the only magical school in Britain, um, that Dumbledore knows them all personally. He humanizes them. In the movie, I know everybody's wearing these crazy, ridiculous masks, but, you know, Dumbledore calls them by name and kind of really speaks to them as, as the same way he's speaking to Draco, really. As a teacher, as a mentor, and I think it really does curb their, not their resolve, because they are actually all adult dark wizards and crazy and want to kill him, but he definitely slows them down a bit. And I think that's a really crucial, I think, part to Dumbledore's character in this in his final moments. Yeah.
1: Well, I think he catches them off guard, right? Because he tells Draco, you know, we can hide your mother. They'll assume that we've killed her because that's what they themselves would do and i think they're a bit disarmed by the fact that they are confronting him and he's being so cordial with them you know <laughs> yeah. if they if they were in his situation that's not what they would do yeah
4: exactly right cuz he even has that line like oh you're or like i think amicus says like oh you're joking and he's like no i'm just being polite
3: yeah 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 these are
2: called manners
3: yeah the the, the woman says think your little jokes will help you on your deathbed then she jeered and he says jokes? No, these are manners. He's just being very polite to the to his would be killers, and it's it's a perfect Dumbledore moment, I think. Like I mentioned, belly laughs. That line that gets me, and I don't remember liking I like reading that before, but this day I can't stop laughing about it.
0: Mm-hmm. So I kind of skipped ahead a moment, but um, so Snape arrives, and with a Severus, please. Snape kills Dumbledore. Of course, one of the biggest moments in the series ever, with the one of one of the most shocking twists ever. The spoiler of all spoilers. <laughs> um The reason for the Severus pleas, the the that line is just so brilliant from J.K. Rowling, because Severus pleas could go either way. Dumbledore did or did not want Snape to kill him. And of course, we, you know, this all gets padded out in the next book. But um Wow, just an iconic moment. And so then there's this quote that we wanted to talk about. So, a jet of green light shot from the end of Snape's wand and hit Dumbledore squarely in the chest. Harry's scream of horror never left him. Silent and unmoving, he was forced to watch as Dumbledore was blasted into the air. For a split second, he seemed to hang suspended beneath the shining skull. And then he fell slowly backward, like a great rag doll over the battlements and out of sight. So... You know, I think Eric, you want to address the fact that this isn't typically how Avada cadaver works. However, based on what we were just talking about with it having to look like Snape really meant it,
3: do you feel better about it? So, yeah, so what Pat said about it being extra emotion that pushed him over, I tend to view this as a coordinated effort uh, on Snape's part. I think that the killing curse we have seen it behave a little unusually when it gave harry his scar and like rebounded and stuff but for the most part the killing curse just kills you in fact taking it back to goblet of fire uh the, the it specifically said that um you know there's no trace the the killing curse leaves no trace a team of doctors had examined the bodies and had concluded that none of the riddles had been poisoned, stabbed, shot, strangled, suffocated, or as far as they could tell, harmed at all. In fact, the report continued, the riddles all appeared to be in perfect health, apart from the fact that they were all dead. Um. So the killing curse really doesn't, I mean, even their eyes stay open. The fact that Dumbledore got blown over the, the railing could be a mark of Snape's emotion. It could also be the mark of this tremendous power leaving the universe or leaving the you know, the the plane of, of, of life and, and, and all that, you know, the life leaving Dumbledore's body causing an explosion. But I think what's more likely is that Snape just pushed his body over with a different spell so that the Death Eaters wouldn't do something to it. I
0: think that's an excellent point.
4: Yeah, because Snape was teaching them nonverbal spells all year. So maybe he also used that to throw him over. Yeah, it
0: begs the question, can you do like a two for one spell so you do something out loud and then you add on like an extra filter <laughs> to, to make him go far
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean this makes sense too because I think this is in the next book where we get the, the memories but Dumbledore tells Snape to like make it quick and not to let anybody torture him and he particularly mentions Bellatrix and he was like she likes to play with her food so please just, like, do this fast. So I do think that, Eric, you bring up a good point about not wanting them to, like, disfigure him yeah, or... Yeah, you,
3: you know one of them would have just taken a trophy of some yeah.
1: Like, mm-hmm.
3: given the opportunity. Like, Fenrir would have ripped a limb off just, like, for fun. It was definitely Snape doing Dumbledore a solid. And, and I mean, one of the things that I read as my my personal canon is that the reason... Snape's spell worked. We were talking a moment ago about Draco and whether or not he'd be able to perform it because he wanted to. Snape, I think was angry at Dumbledore, not because he had malicious wanting, wanting to kill him, but what allowed Snape's spell to work in my head canon is that he's angry at Dumbledore for making him kill him. Mm -hmm. So it's
4: right. That's part of what I wanted to talk about too, because Harry, in my opinion, misreads Snape's face where he because the book's obviously from Harry's point point of view, where he's like, the look on Snape's face was of like utter disgust or immense disgust or something like that. But I think that that's more so just his grief coming across his face and building up that courage to do the deed to somebody that I do actually think that Snape loves, Dumbledore. And the fact that he needs to do this, it's not a look of disgust. It's just a look of Grief and just immense emotion to have to pull this off. I
2: read that the same way.
4: That's great. Harry n- never gives Snape the benefit of the doubt, so you
0: know, right? You could see why he misread the situation. Yeah, well,
3: I I just love that in the moment it, it works perfectly for the book because you know, and in the chase that ensues too, you just. You just can't believe what you've read. Snape and Dumbledore are both characters that we've known since book one. All of this time, they've interacted with one another. They've both been teachers. For Snape to do this, it just, it sparked a million theories because we're just like, wait a minute, this Mm -hmm. guy's supposed to be a good guy. Or wait a minute, they've known each other for so long. What's going on? It just, there's elements of it being pre-planned and stuff that are sprinkled throughout the books, but you really don't know until you know. And so this is an excellent, thrilling, like, Climax for this book Yeah So Dumbledore
0: is dead um, We thought we would pay tribute To one of the best characters of all time By Reciting some of our favorite Dumbledore quotes But we're going to use quotes nominated by our Patrons earlier this week We asked what what is your favorite Dumbledore quote Now here's the twist y'all We're going to take turns reading these And you have to either recite it In Dumbledore's voice or a Mica voice, since Micah is not <laughs> here this week. Yeah, yeah,
3: that's the, the twist. The this is going to be
1: hard.
0: Dumb- uh, Micah is Dumbledore, in my opinion, so I thought it was
3: appropriate. Really? Because you're, you're my Dumbledore. Your Dumbledore voice is my Dumbledore head voice. Thank you. The, the The vocal impression is
0: the only part of Dumbledore I can do well. No perfect breaststroke. No flying <laughs> on a broom staring at the dark park. <laughs> no knitting. So, um, all right, so we'll take turns doing these. I'm just going to pop people's names in and first read the patron who submitted it. These were all highly upvoted. So they are beloved quotes from Dumbledore. So Alicia, can you start, please?
2: <laughs> okay, so I did actually practice my Dumbledore voice. Nice. And, um, I figured out that it doesn't actually sound like Dumbledore at all. It sounds lot more like Trelawney when she's overcome with <laughs> <laughs> um, so here we go. Uh, so this one is from Lord. Sorry if I butchered that. Um, nitwit Blubber Audiment Tweak.
1: Nice. Yeah, it's good a good one. Uh, <laughs> I haven't practiced this at all, y'all. I'm nervous. Okay. Uh, this one comes from Mandy. It says, um, I don't know what to do. <laughs>
3: Do a, do a Micah, Micah. voice you know Just to, try and just do do
1: my Micah Micah voice? see what comes yeah, out Okay voice. I'll I'll drop down to a deep baritone I I don't know if I can do it Okay <laughs> Differences of habit and language Are nothing at all if our aims Are identical and our hearts Are open
3: See well done Who knew that the way to a good Dumbledore voice is through Micah This is great I thought that was you excellent sounded like Abe Lincoln to me <laughs> Uh, this next quote's from Haley. Numbing the pain for a while will only make it worse when you finally feel it.
4: Mm. All right, this next one is from Juliana. I do love good knitting patterns.
3: <laughs> that was really Whose <laughs> voice was that? <laughs> Micah? It sounded like Adam Driver.
0: Yeah, it did. This one's from Diana. Dark times lie ahead of us. And there will be a time when we must choose between what is right and what is easy.
2: Uh, this one comes from Emmy. Of course, it is happening inside your head, Harry. But why on earth should that mean that it is not real?
3: That was that was good, though. That was. Thanks. That quote we put on a, a MuggleCast T-shirt a long time ago.
0: Yes. Yes, we did.
3: We are happening inside your head. If you listen with <laughs> headphones.
1: <laughs> Clever. Yeah. All right. The next one comes from Doug. It says, well, it is just that you seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to, what is the phrase? Come quietly. I'm afraid I'm not going to come quietly at all.
4: And this last one is from Chloe. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live.
0: Beautiful.
1: I like how our Dumbledore impressions are like wobbly voices. Yeah,
4: I know. No, but old.
1: all all of us do it and we're like, yeah, old people talk like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, goodbye Dumbledore. We will miss you. It's been a beautiful journey with you. <laughs> oh my
3: god. <laughs> we will
0: miss your spirits, your inspiration.
1: During that, I was just thinking, like, because, you know, the Elder Wand plays such a role, it could be like, my wand will go on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great.
0: Brilliant. All right. Well, we have to revisit my ride pitch for Universal as yes. your MVP of the week and rename the chapter. But
3: first, it's time for a word from another one of this week's sponsors. Yes, this week's episode is sponsored by OpenFit. Getting fit and staying healthy always sounds easier said than done, right? Well, OpenFit is bringing you something new that makes it even easier to never miss a sweat session. It's a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room in as little as 10 minutes a day. OpenFit has amazing trainers and classes. They're led by some of the most effective and engaging trainers in the world. You can sculpt your body with Andrea Rogers, founder of the worldwide sensation Extend Bar, Or get in crazy good shape with Hunter McIntyre, named by Sports Illustrated as one of the top 50 fittest athletes. These trainers know how to get you results quick. It's also super simple. Forget all the complexity and workout stress around getting fit. Just press play and workout on your schedule. 600 seconds with celebrity trainer Devin Wiggins packs the fat-burning, muscle-building, and body-sculpting benefits of much longer sessions into a fraction of that time. I'm still doing Yoga 52 on... Open Fit, and I'm finding not only a lot of poses that I at first thought were daunting, but I'm now finding my body naturally fitting into. But it's formatted in a, like a 30 day or eight week challenge on Open Fit, so you can really work out. You can plan, you know, what you want to do for your body using their easy to use online and streaming system. So I love Open Fit, and listeners of our show, if you haven't tried it yet. You can get a free 30-day trial by texting MuggleCast to 303030, 303030. OpenFit's changed the way I work out. And with the code MuggleCast, you can join me on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Again, use the code MuggleCast and start using OpenFit. You'll get full access, all workouts, and nutrition information totally free. Just text, message MuggleCast to 303030. We thank OpenFit for their support.
0: Pat's also on that fitness journey. He's been using... The company behind open fit for years
3: do you stream You're it at- do you use roku do you use what do, what do you
4: use i use my apple tv apple
0: tv mm-hmm. every day after work it's workout time He doesn't have to go out again
4: that's fantastic
0: so of course universal orlando is opening <gasps> hagrid's <laughs> magical creatures <laughs> motorbike adventure in just about two weeks actually very exciting i'll be down there next week to check it out and um You know, now that we're doing the Lightning Struck Tower chapter, what better time than to remind everybody about what I believe this should have been the ride that they did next. But okay, it's not. Maybe this will be the next ride that they build. So here's my idea. Based on the classic Tower of Terror at Disney, I'm renaming the ride in the spirit of the new Hagrid ride. It's called Dumbledore's Magical Astronomy Tower of Terror. (laughs) It is going to fling you over the battlement and down to the Hogwarts grounds where you'll meet your untimely but necessary death. And here's the high-tech element. I'm adding this to the ride. So the ride lets you be Dumbledore, of course, because you get to do that free fall. But you don't fall until you whisper, Severus, please. And if you refuse to whisper this, You have no free fall, and you've wasted your time waiting in line two hours for the attraction. (laughs) (laughs) So that's coming to Universal Orlando in 2022 to compete with whatever Galaxy's Edge expansion happens next.
4: I fully support this, but only if after you whisper it, all of a sudden the speakers blare, and I'm free (laughs) falling. Uh, it'd be, it'd like a... be better
1: if it was like a bungee jumping thing, so you didn't actually die.
0: Well, there's padding at the bottom, I guess, to catch you. Maybe I like kind of wanted to you.
3: play "My Heart Will Go On." I think that was oddly perfect and fitting. For... Well, I
2: agree. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
3: Maybe it'd be like rock and roller coaster at Universal, where you choose the song that plays when you get blown over the battlement. It'd <laughs> <That'd> be <laughs> yeah. kind of cool. Uh,
0: exactly. All right, so now it's time for our MVP of the week. Mine is Draco Malfoy for not being that guy, for not being a killer.
1: Mine is Dumbledore's sudden bursts of energy that got us to this point in the book.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if we had to do a chapter that gave the MVPs to the same person more than once, it would rather be this chapter than any other. I gave mine to Dumbledore too, this time for his last minute sense of humor... Uh, I found when we were doing this uh, Dumbledore poll about favorite quotes and stuff, and I was rereading the chapter for chapter by chapter, I found this quote that I just love, and it's my new favorite Dumbledore quote of all time. But here's the excerpt from the book. It's page 586. Draco and Dumbledore are talking, and there's this commotion downstairs. And the excerpt from the book is, somebody is putting up a good fight, said Dumbledore conversationally. like. (laughs) Kids could be getting murdered downstairs. He hears a, a rumble and he's just like, somebody's putting up a good fight down there. Mm. He knows it's going to be fine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I picked Snape kind of for the opposite reason that Andrew picked for being that guy, uh, for being brave enough to kill Dumbledore when he probably didn't want to.
4: And I picked Dumbledore because he went out advent- on adventure. Um, As my favorite Dumbledore quote from the beginning of the book is, When he says to Harry, let us go out into the night and pursue that flighty temptress adventure. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Dumbledore loves it so much, and he went out right after a big one.
3: Well, that reminds me of his quote from book one, right? To the well-organized mind that death is but the next great adventure. Yeah. So there you go.
0: And now renaming the chapter, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince chapter 27, if I did it. (laughs) Did (laughs) what? Did what? If you know what I'm referencing, you know. If you don't, <laughs> oh, I just want not say so left out. Just Google if I did it. Yeah,
1: I mean, just you know, go to Barnes and Noble; they probably have a copy.
0: <laughs> Ask them. <Yeah. laughs> All
1: right, mine is Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince, chapter twenty-seven. You kill Dumbledore. No, you kill Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah. Fun combo.
3: This is fun. Um, I couldn't pick. Uh, So I went with two, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 27, Snape Kills Dumbledore. Uh, As somebody who reads the table of contents before reading the Harry Potter books for the first time, who reads all the chapter titles and all that, that would have been a huge spoiler that would have just destroyed me. Um, But then the alternate title was Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 27, A Show of Good Manners.
1: Hmm. I like that.
2: Um, I picked uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 27. Condescending, dumbledore
3: <laughs> descending you wrote descending in
2: all caps all caps um con as in because we know dumbledore likes to trick and deceive and descending for obvious reasons and uh yeah condescending overall because he's you know he's a little condescending to uh the death it's descendant. perfect so while i love he's it. talking to them yeah
4: uh, so I think the chapter should be named Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Pl- Prince, Chapter 27. Albus Dumbledore sat on a wall. Albus Dumby had a great fall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We're all brutal. This,
1: this is what 15 years of podcasting does to you. You're just completely desensitized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I am not. I played a beautiful song for Dumbledore because it was a very serious moment. So that is Chapter 27. Only a couple more chapters to go.
1: Fast-moving
0: chapters, too.
1: What are we going to do after that?
0: Oh, we've got ideas. (laughs) Shut down the show. (laughs) (laughs) No, we've we've got ideas. So um, now it's time for some quizage.
3: Yes. uh, So to recap, it's been a a couple weeks since our last episode. But the the question um, from last week was, where specifically in Hogsmeade do Harry and Dumbledore apparate to? Uh, The answer was the High Street. They show up in the middle of the High Street in Hogsmeade. And correct answers were submitted by Haley Hansen, Fluffy McNutters, Stacy Davis, Jason King, Marlena Gambo, J.K. Not Rolling, A.K.A. Julia, Issy, Harry Potterhead Seven, and Mandrake Patronus. So congratulations to all of those people. And next week's question: Who was the person that Draco uh, said was dead? In front of Harry. So who's the person that Draco took for being dead? Um, And submit your answers to us over on Twitter at MuggleCast, hashtag Quizzitch. Okay.
0: Um, All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Instagram.com slash MuggleCast is where you can find us. Also, Twitter and Facebook with the same username. We'd love your support over on Patreon. Patreon, Like we said, we just hit 1,000 patrons, which is an amazing milestone. And uh, we're a week or so away from shipping out the first wave of signed Album art. So we can't wait to see those arriving in everybody's mailboxes, including yours, Alicia. Thank you again for supporting us. And we hope you had a good time on the show today.
2: Yes, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Good. You good. were great. You great. Oh, thanks. You guys don't get enough credit for how much work this Takes
3: weekly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks for saying so. Good that. job. As somebody who's <laughs> about to put two thousand labels on uh, envelopes, uh, I think that's true. Thank you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're welcome. You guys deserve all the credit.
3: If you want to get in touch with
0: us, the Ca- uh, go to mugglecast.com and use the contact form. You can also call us one nine two zero three Muggle. That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. We also got that PO box, Mugglecast. 4044 North Lincoln Avenue, Box 144, here in Chicago, Illinois, 60618. You can also email at com, Or, of course, just hit us up on social media. If you follow us on any of those channels, you know we're paying attention. And we do read all of the emails. We just don't have time to reply and include them all on the show. But we love getting those emails. You guys send us some amazing theories and reactions and thoughts on everything that we're doing and we really appreciate it so thank you alright that does it for this week's episode I'm Andrew I'm Eric I'm Laura I'm Pat and I'm Alicia bye everybody later Bye. bye